So today we are jumping into a new sermon series, and we're going to be going at this for the next 10 weeks. So before we get into that, just some introductions. Uh, gosh, my name is Wayne, and if you're new here to the Mustard Seed Church checking us out, we just want to say welcome. We really hope and pray that this morning is meaningful to you. We really hope and pray that uh, this is a place where you feel like you can belong and that you've uh, already made some connections already. One thing I love about this community is it's almost like everybody knows everybody, right? So when we say, hey, take, some, take time to say hi to somebody next to you, it's like... <laughs> I know everybody next to me, you know? And so that's why those, those conversations, we have to reel you back in and saying, okay, let's stop talking. Let's go back to the seats. We have announcements. So we do hope and pray that this morning is meaningful to you and you do feel connected. As I said, my name is Wayne and I'm the senior pastor here at the Mustard Seed Church. And uh, last year, probably sometime around late summer, early fall, we began the conversation about our apprenticeship with Jesus. Does anybody remember that? Apprenticeship with Jesus. We started using the word apprenticeship rather than discipleship because discipleship in now day and age, it's very like kind of a spiritual churchy term that you use and it's kind of hard to grab a hold of when we talk about discipleship. And so we started using the word apprenticeship. And really, apprenticeship is like, you know, you're training to become an electrician and you're apprenticing under somebody, right? That's sort of an apprenticeship that we're talking about. And so there's three goals when it comes to being an apprentice. And this is the ones that we've looked at, uh, like I said, late summer or early fall. And the three goals were to become, to be with your teacher, to become like your teacher, and to do what your teacher did. To be with your teacher, to become like your teacher, and to do what your teacher did. And this is true for, again, for all fields of apprenticeship. Whether it's an electrician apprenticeship, or you're getting hired on a, at an engineering firm under an apprenticeship. Um, or you're in the medical field. Gosh, if you're in the medical field, you do like four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, and then like two years of... You know, whatever, and then two years into your another field in medical school seems like it goes on forever. But that is an apprenticeship because one day you hope to become a doctor, right? It's not just so you can know all the medical stuff and watch Grey's Anatomy online and know what they're talking about. It's like you're going through that so you can become a doctor one day. And this idea that we would be with our teacher, become like our teacher, and do what our did, and do what our and, and do what our teacher does, is pretty common again in the apprenticeship journey. And for me, my recent apprenticeship journey uh, has been with my um, adventures in fly fishing. My, now, hold on, let me explain it for a second, because you're like, how is that an apprenticeship? So I am a student under the master teacher who goes by the name of DJ, who is my friend in Durango. And some of you probably met him because he's come here and spoke before, and him and I helped church plant uh, the vineyard in Durango. And he is a master fly fisherman, like we'll win fly fishing tournaments sort of thing. And my fishing experience has been, I grew up in Louisiana, and I would go fishing down in the Gulf, and you would wade out into the Gulf of Mexico, and you would have tennis shoes on or some Chacos and shorts and a t-shirt because the water was like 80 degrees, right? And you would, you, would, you would have your rod and your reel, and you would just wade out into the water, and you would just start casting. Like there was nothing fancy about it. There's nothing like 
super stealthy, like you don't have to be quiet, you just sort of weigh down and walk out into the water. And so the, I, when I first moved here, DJ took me fishing and I took that same approach with fly fishing. And can I say that it doesn't work if you take that same approach with fly fishing. And so what DJ ended up doing is he started taking me under his wing and he's like, well, this is how you cast. And he even told me, like, gave examples of saying, you want to, the way you cast the rod is like all the, almost the way you pop a towel. Like you want to build up the tension in the towel and then whip it. And so he's trying to teach me how to cast, right? And so I go on this year-long journey, a couple-year-long journey of learning how to fly fish. And then we move here. And uh, me and Jesse go, go, go fish the Gunnison River in Delta. And again, I'm still using the same technique. I tie my line on. I put on my waders. And it's like an elephant running into the river, right? It's just water everywhere. There's nothing like super fishy about it. It's just I'm getting out there and I start casting. Well, DJ comes here, and he came and spoke at the church one Sunday, and uh, him and I go fishing, and we get to the truck, and we're putting on waders, and we're putting our rods together, and I tie my fly on, and I see him, and he doesn't tie his fly on. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I don't know what to tie on yet. I'm like, how do you not know what to tie on yet? Like, you have a box full of flies, you just tie something on, right? You see my thinking, right? So we start walking down to the river, and he's going up to bushes and trees, and he's grabbing bugs off of them. And I'm like, are you like Bill Nye the science guy? Like, what is going on here? You know, like, so he's grabbing bugs, and he's checking them out, and then he sneaks down into the river, like real ninja style. And I'm walking behind him like, am I missing something? Like, what is, what is happening, right? He gets down into the river and he grabs rocks and he turns them over and he's looking to see what kind of bugs are on the rocks. And then he gets under the water and he's like scooping up these bugs and he's, and he's like, all right. He's like, what'd you tie on? I said this. He said, no, that's wrong. I was like, okay. So we tie on a totally different thing. And then we start to fish this little creek. And I'm like, you know, trudging off in the water, start fishing. He's like, hey, come back here. You want to stay on this side. You want to creep in low. You want to cast like this. Because we don't want to scare him. We want to sneak attack. Can I tell you, best fishing day I ever had in my life, right? Best fishing day I ever had in my life. And this is just a, a tiny sample or an example of me actually coming under DJ and apprenticing under him in something that is fly fishing. My goal was to be with him, right? Become like him. And then do what he did. And this is the same thing that is true for me and you in our apprenticeship with Jesus. We want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so last summer and early fall of last year, we looked at the first two goals of being with Jesus. The one is being with him. And we looked at some practices on how we can do that in our life. Silence and solitude, Sabbath, reading your Bible, prayer, fasting. Like all of those things help us to cultivate a life to be with Jesus. We looked at the practices of becoming like Jesus. And we looked at that by going uh, through the book of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We talked about dealing things within our past and uh, confrontation and all this stuff. And 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 hopes that we become like Jesus on this journey. And so today, the third one, if you could guess it, is we're doing a ten-week sermon series looking at the third goal in apprenticeship, and that is doing what Jesus did. 
doing what Jesus did. Now, when it comes to doing what Jesus did, there's all kind of tensions around that for me and for you when it comes to doing what Jesus did. Because for most of us, it's Jesus doing those things. Do you get what I'm saying? Like Jesus is the one doing it. And so for some reason, we look at that and we say, well, yeah, it's Jesus. He's supposed to do those things. That's what God in flesh does. He does those things. And so there's all kind of tension around it because honestly, if we're honest, we're not Jesus, right? When I look at the list of things that Jesus did, the first one is community. He was in community with people. He ate and drank with those who are far from God. Prayer, compassion, healing, prophecy, sharing the gospel, casting out demons. How many is pumped about casting out demons? Nobody? Yeah. See? There's a lot of tension when we start talking about, hey, we want to do what Jesus did. And then we look at what Jesus did and we're like, yeah, but that was Jesus. Like for me, I'm like, I'm just Wayne. So the idea that I can do what Jesus did, gosh, feels foreign to me almost. There's a lot of pressure there. There's some tension there. Like, really? Can I do that? Does, anybody, does, that, does that relate to anybody else in terms of thinking about doing what Jesus did? So today, as we get into God's Word, we're going to look at our apprenticeship, with, uh, apprenticeship journey with Jesus and in doing what He did. If you have your Bibles, can you turn to John chapter 14? John chapter 14, we're going to be through verses 1 through 2, 1, 1 through 12. John 14, 1 through 12. Everybody there? We're good? Okay, would you stand with me? We're going to read it, okay? John 14, 1 through 12. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Verse 5. Thomas said, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long... And you still don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You can be seated. So to give you a little context of what is happening here in this John 14 story. 
Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples, sitting in the room. They're all lounging around the table, and it has just been made known to the disciples that Christ is going to suffer and die, and that one of them are going to betray him. So as you can imagine, this is a very awkward, tension kind of moment, that he's going to suffer and die, and that one of them in the group is going to betray him. And then in John 14, where we just started off reading, he begins to comfort them. He says, let your hearts not be troubled. He begins to bring them comfort. He begins to give them some final instructions. And he begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit who is to come. So as you can imagine, this is not one of those stories in the Gospels where you read and Jesus is at the the wedding party and there's wine and feast and it's fun and all this kind of stuff. Like this is actually like a a somber and it's a serious kind of moment where everyone knows that Christ is going to give his life and suffer and die and that he's actually going to be betrayed by somebody within his own circle. So this is the seriousness at at which Jesus is writing. And one of the things, one of the little nuggets that we want to highlight this morning, if you picked it up, was in John 14, verse 12. We should have it on the screen just so you can see what... John 14, verse 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, this is the thing that happens that I've... I've, All the commentaries that I read, everybody gets hung up on the greater works. They're like, man, what does he mean by the greater works? How are we supposed to do the greater works that he's done? But I think the most profound thing is in the beginning. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. That's our apprenticeship journey under Jesus, that we would do what he did. And so this morning, there's just a couple of things we want to highlight from the verse. And the first point is, is that he says, whoever believes. No. That's verse 40. Okay. <laughs> here we go. He says, whoever believes. Did you, pitch, did you pick that up? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes. Now, this word believe at times for us can mean that we have hope in something, right? I believe in the New Orleans Saints that they'll make it to the playoffs, <laughs> right? Not only did that not happen, but we lost our coach too. So if you follow sports at all. But in that language, it's sort of like a hope. Gosh, I hope they make it to the playoffs, right? What the New Testament writers are talking about in here when they talk about believe is the word believe means to trust in as true. To trust in as true. Or to even lean in onto something, like to put your weight onto it that it would hold you up. And a good explanation for this, a good example of this is my family and I a couple of years ago were going to hike Ice Lakes in Silverton. Anybody ever hiked up the Ice Lakes? It's beautiful. We were going to hike, hike up the Ice Lakes, and it's like a four-mile hike there, and it's super steep and uphill when you get to the end of it. And as you can tell, we're not like in shape, right? And so like a hard hike, we're, we're optimistic in thinking that we can do it. And so we begin this hike, and we trudge, and I mean, we just like our hands and knees all the way up to the top, and everybody is just talking about how much they hate it, 
Right? You ever done that before? You're like, this is so stupid. I hate this, you know? And then we get to the top and we're like, this is awesome, you know? We love hiking. We should do this more. But, I mean, five minutes ago, it was just like some soap opera, you know what I'm saying? So we get up there. We jump into the lake, which is ice cold freezing. And uh, we, we get out. We dry off. We hang around. And then we start making our way down. And, if, I mean, for hiking, like, going down is like some of the worst part. Right? Like your knees, your quads, your shins, like all of that going down. And so we're hiking down, and my wife, I love her so much, she starts, and she's like, I mean, just every step, oh, my knees, oh, my legs. She's like, I just need to take a break. Right? And so I wish I had the picture, because I would, I would have totally put it on the screen. But what we did was, I got next to a rock, and I bent over like this. And she got on my back and just her legs and hands were hanging off. And she was just like this on my back. And she was just hanging, letting her legs hang, letting her arms hang. And she was like, I just need to rest my legs, my, you know. And so she was just hanging on my back for like five minutes. And I was like this. And people are walking by like, is that what you do when you hike, you know? The interesting thing was she was, before she got on my back, she was like, are you sure? Are you sure you can hold me? Like, we're not going to fall. We're not going to go down the hill. And I'm like, no, no, no. You can trust me. You can trust me. And when Jesus says, whoever believes, this is the language that he's using. He's saying, you can trust me. That's the invitation this morning for me and you. He says, you can lean on me. I'm true. My words are true. What I've come to do for you is true. The words that I speak when I say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you is true. The words when I say, hey, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you is true. He says, you can trust me. You can lean on me. And that's what uh, Jesus is saying here in this text. Whoever believes will do the works that I do. Now this language, whoever, if you caught that, whoever believes, this language that Jesus uses, he uses is found all throughout the New Testament. And he uses it the most. Just some scriptural references we'll give for you. The first one is Matthew 10, verse 40. Now check it out now. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John three sixteen, the most Googled scripture of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that, say it with me, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 6, 35, the last one. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want you to catch this here, that this is the gospel. At the heart of Jesus' message, this is the gospel. It's the whoever gospel. And when he says whoever, he actually means whoever. 
Like there's not some sort of Greek thing behind it that makes it mean something else. When he says whoever, he actually means whoever. And so what that means this morning is that it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Hispanic or wealthy or not or, or male or female or LGBTQ plus or Republican or Democrat or Black Lives Matter or pro-life or pro-choice or pro-vaccine. When he says whoever, he means whoever. Whoever believes, whoever comes and leans on me and trusts in me, no matter what your story might be, no matter how far you've wandered from God, no matter how much you might hate the church, no matter how much you've been hurt by the church, he says whoever Whoever comes and leans on me and trusts in me and trusts that what I've done and said is true. That's for me and for you. That's for people in this valley and in this community. That it's an open table. And we always say here, gosh, we love you so much. God loves you so much to come as you are, but he loves you so much not to leave you there. That he wants to see change and transformation within your life. That you, that me and you become to look and be more and more like him. But it's an open invitation. Whoever. And this is what I love about the kingdom of God. The people that Jesus called to be to himself. Can I tell you, who would you you figure in your life or in our society that are an outcast? That you want to keep your distance from. That you actually don't want to have a conversation with. Because you're going to disagree. And it's going to get heated. And there might be road rage and all this stuff. right? Think of that person. And Jesus invited that person to follow him. Matthew the tax collector. Thank you. That's that's like my first amen today. Come on. But Matthew, the tax collector in that culture, was an enemy to the, to the Jews. He sided with the Romans, stole money from his own people, and he was in the class called tax collectors and sinners. The, re- the religious people went up to Jesus' disciples and says, Why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? When he says whoever, he means whoever. And that's why we say here, gosh, we want this to be a place before, that you can belong before you believe. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing me. On top of that, one of the things that I love most when it comes to doing what Jesus did is that we think it's for those who have been like super trained and are up here with the mic and all this stuff. But I love a quote by John Piper, and he says this. He says, "You you shouldn't think, oh, this is for pastors or veteran Christians." or highly spiritual, mature Christians, or professional Christians, or missionaries, or elders, or evangelists, or highly gifted Christians. He says, no, the text says, whoever believes in me. It's not, me doing what Jesus did is not the, the, the people up here with the mics and on the stage. What puts you into the category of doing what Jesus did is those who believe in me, whoever it is. 
When we get this, this is what gets me so passionate about it. When we get this, the church becomes the church. And that we're not stuck in these walls here where we're going out into our community, to our neighbors, to those people who nobody wants to have anything to do with. We actually go to them. And we say, hey, come to the same table with me. Whoever. It's for everyday people like me and you. The second thing that we have that we want to highlight from this text is the works. In John 14, 12, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever believes in me, right? We already covered who who the, who the whoever is and what believing is. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. We're not even going to get into the second part of doing greater works. We're just going to stay in the first part and just say, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. This word for works is found all throughout the New Testament. And most notably, it's in Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Here we go. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. James says this in James 2. He says that faith without works is dead. And part of me wonders if this is why droves of people are leaving the church. And part of me wonders if this is why people are always saying, gosh, how do I... Growing my faith more, we jump from one church to the next and saying, I'm not getting fed at this one. So I'm going to go to this one. Could it be that faith without works, faith without doing what Jesus did, actually ends up dying? It's kind of shocking to think about that. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And we can see this apprenticeship journey if you read the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 4, chapter 4 through 10. Chapter 10. Feel free to read that on your own time. We can see this apprenticeship journey of the disciples doing what Jesus did. Real quick, I'll give you the story for it. Can I story tell a little bit? Uh, Can I do that? You know I like to story tell. So real quick, I'll do the scriptural timeline for the disciples. In Matthew, we don't have, and we won't have this on the screen until later, so just track with me. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Peter. And he goes to them and says, hey, follow me. It says that they drop their nets and follow him. He goes on a little further and he sees James and John, the son of Zebedee. He says, hey, you two, you also follow me. They, as well, drop their nets and follow him, right? Everybody tracking with me? In Matthew 9, Jesus goes to Levi, Matthew the tax collector. Goes up to the tax collecting booth, right? Hey, you also, you follow me. And so as you can see in the picture, Jesus is going around and saying, Hey, you follow me. Hey, you come on. You come with me too. Hey, you, I'm going to train you up as well. And he's gathering all of these people around him. And he's saying, Hey, you follow me. And we pick up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. 
And this is where it sort of culminates all together. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Now listen to the Jesus stuff he's doing, okay? He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. To give you a gist of what Jesus is saying here, is he's doing the work. He's doing all the stuff. He sees all the people coming to him, and he looks at his disciples. He says, gosh, there's a lot of work to be done. It would be nice if I had some help, huh? Kind of like at the disciples. You get what I'm saying? The harvest is plenty. Pray to the Lord of harvest that laborers would come. This is what he's saying in the text. He's doing all the stuff. And he says, whew, there's a lot of stuff to do. I need some help. Then we pick it up in Matthew chapter 10. This is the very next chapter. And he called to him, right? So he says, gosh, it would be nice if I had some help. So what does he do? He calls to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles were these, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We're just going to go through it. Let it rock. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector, made it in there. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Verse 5. Check this out now. He's saying to them, he's sitting there, he's calling disciples to him. He says, whoo, look at all this work that needs to be done. And he calls the twelve to him. And what's it say? Then the, these twelve Jesus sent out instructing them. Look what he instructs them to do in verse 6. Or verse 7. Proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pain. You see the story there. He's calling them to himself. They're beginning the apprenticeship journey. From Matthew 4 to Matthew 9, they're seeing him do all the stuff. And then in Matthew 9 and 10, he says, all right, now guess what? You get to go do the stuff. Doing what Jesus did. And we ended in, Matt, in Luke chapter 9. One more scripture. I know y'all love all the Bible stuff. So here we go. Luke 9. This is a different way Luke says it in Luke chapter 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there... What, wait, did I read that right? Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Okay, yeah, I read that right. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the whole villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus has sent them out. I love this in verse 10. So he sends them out. Look what happens in verse 10. On their return, the disciples told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart 
to a town called Bethsaida. So he sent, he's, he's calling all the disciples to him. He says, whoo, man, there's a lot of work here to do. Guess what? You get to go do it as well. He sends them out and says, essentially, do the same things that I'm doing. Proclaim the kingdom. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Share the gospel. Teach the way. And he sends them out. And then it says that they come back on the return and they tell him all the things that they've done. Man, Jesus, guess what? We did this and we did that. And later on in one of the Gospels, Jesus said, well, don't rejoice that you've done all that. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. But they go out and they come back and they're like super pumped. We did the stuff. We did the things that Jesus did. We paint this big picture like this. We walk through the Gospel of Matthew because this is the life of an apprentice. To be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what he did. They said yes to following him. They're trusting in him. They're watching him do all this stuff. And then he says, now you go do the stuff. The interesting thing is that Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. What Jesus is saying, and all the New Testament writers say that, The mark of a believer, the mark of somebody who trusts in Jesus is somebody who does the works. He didn't say whoever believes in me will just go to church on Sunday. Is that what it, that didn't, that's not what it read. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And it reminds me a couple of weeks ago about doing the works and being invited into that. As uh, If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, you've probably seen this. But I had this big tree that we cut down at our house. And, I mean, the top of it was about as round as this area right here. And I had it all on top of my Ford Ranger. And so my Ford Ranger going through Palisade literally looked like a tree on wheels. I mean, just to be honest, Right. Joey came over, Joey O'Neill came over and helped me cut it, and him and his nephew Merrick came over. And I loved what Joey was telling Merrick when he came over, because Merrick's probably, I don't know, six, seven, maybe eight years old, somewhere around there, right? Little cute guy. But he had this, like, this little saw with him that was a little bitty thing, and he was wanting to run around and play and throw sticks. And Joey was like, hey, hey, if you're coming here, you got to come and work. If you're coming over here, you got to come over. And man, Merrick took off with that little saw, and he was cutting his little limbs. And then I gave him one of my little Dewalt sawzalls, and he thought this was like a boy's dream come true, right? You know, and he's just cutting limbs up and everything. But I love that story because the way Joey said it was like, hey, if you come here, if you're here with us to do this, you got to work. And I sort of feel like this is the vibe that Jesus is putting off. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. It's an invitation for us to be able to do what Jesus did. And I think part of what some of the struggle that you and I can find is that we are sort of in what you would call American Christianity. And within American Christianity, what it means to follow Jesus is uh, you pray the right prayer. Can I tell you the sinner's prayer is nowhere in the Bible? Can I tell you that? But in American Christianity, you pray the right prayer. 
You maybe join a small group. When you have time, you read your Bible and you pray. You definitely, definitely, hear me out now, you definitely have to give. You definitely have to give your money. Why ain't nobody laughing on that one? You definitely have to give. And then you sprinkle that with some good deeds here and there. Your political party matters. In American Christianity, your political party matters. And so for us here, you're probably Republican. Then on top of all of that, we end the practice of following Jesus by saying, hey, if we just go to church on Sunday. Like the idea, if we just go to church on Sunday, we're following Jesus. I remember in Louisiana uh, going to share the gospel with one guy I worked with in the oil and gas field. And I went up to him and just, I do this, forgive me, all right? I do this stuff to where I ask questions that kind of get to another question that lead to another question, you know what I'm saying? And so I walk up to this guy and I'm like, hey man, have you ever been born again? He's like, what in the world are you talking about, you know? And I was like, you know, born again. Jesus says that uh, to, we can enter into heaven only those who have been born again, you know. And he was like, oh, no, no, I don't know anything about that. He said, but I do go to church on Sunday. And it kind of struck me. I'm like, being born again and being born by the Spirit, which Jesus says that the only way to the Father is to be born by the Spirit, to be born again. And this guy's like, no, I'm not about that. I just go to church on Sunday. That's American Christianity. And I feel like what Jesus is inviting us to is an apprenticeship journey that goes way further and way deeper and is way more meaningful than just going to church on Sunday. If I can tell you, if I can be honest with you, and maybe pastors shouldn't say this. If you're just coming here on Sunday mornings just to come, I don't, I don't know what good that's doing. I mean, I'm glad that you're here I'm glad that you feel like you can belong and worship and sing, but if your goal is like, hey, I just want to come to church on Sunday, you're missing it. We're miss you're missing it. I'm not concerned about how big this church is going to grow and how many seats can we get in here and how many people can we have coming. I'm worried about, gosh, are we apprenticing under Jesus? Are we being with him and becoming like him and doing what he did? Give me 20 people who want to do what Jesus did. And man, we're going to go do some things for the kingdom. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. This is the question. Are we doing the works? Maybe this is like a self-examination sort of thing. Are we doing the works? There's no guilt trip here. There's no throwing shade. There's none of that happening. How are we doing? See, for some of you, it might feel overwhelming now. It's sort of like the rubber hit the road and you're like, oh gosh. Your anxiety level went up a little bit. You're like, Wayne, can't can you just tell me Jesus loves me? And can we talk about all that good stuff? For some of you, you might be saying, man, I wouldn't even know where to begin if I wanted to. Wayne, you got me pumped. You're pumped, Wayne. I'm pumped now. Let's do it. Oh, now do what? Like, like I, you wouldn't even know what to do if we wanted to do it, right? And honestly, I think this is where the church fails sometimes. And I love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. 
But the church is not to have lights and smokes and smoke machines and concerts and which all that stuff's fine. I wish we had lights other than these, you know? It's not to fill the building and how many numbers can you get in and gosh, how many people can you get to give and how much volunteering is happening. All that stuff is wonderful. The church is supposed to train up and equip and send out like Jesus did. The end of Matthew, Jesus tells the disciples, all right, now you go and make disciples. You've been discipled. You've been with me. You've become like me. You've done what I've done. All right, now you go replicate that. You go do that. That's what he's talking about in Matthew 29. So where does that leave us? So for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at what Jesus did. We have a list of uh, eight things that Jesus did that we're going to have on the screen. There's some of these that we highlighted earlier. Community. Eating and drinking with people far from God. I didn't have that in there because it was too long. Eating and drinking. Prayer. Compassion. Healing. Prophecy. Sharing the gospel. And casting out demons. How many, for how many of you that feels overwhelming already? Right? Let's just be honest. Call it what it is. It feels very much overwhelming. And so what we're going to try to do as a church over the next 10 weeks is we're going to look at each one of these. We're going to come up with some practicals of how we can actually do those things. And then we're going to actually have some practices and some training on some of this stuff. So we're going to have conferences coming up, just so you know. Be on the lookout. Put it on your calendar. So for healing, right, number five, we're actually going to have a conference and some training here on teaching people how to pray for healing. I remember going to my first one, going to my first training, and somebody got prayed over and, were, and was healed, and I was just like... It's like, this thing is real, you know? And I actually was watching the person to make sure they didn't, like, fake it and then actually be hurting later on, you know what I'm saying? We pray for the knee. They come in limping, right? We pray for the knee, and they're like, woo! And then the whole time I was like, let me see you limp one time. Let me see you limp one time, you know? Healing. So we're going to have a training on healing. In our community groups, we're going to work on prophecy. We're going to work on sharing the gospel. And we're going to work on some casting out demons, right? This is all going to be training. We're going to do some training and equipping and empowering for you to actually do the stuff. Sound good? Does anybody get a little pumped about that? Yeah, right? Come on, man. Don't talk about it. So as we close, just some final words I want to give to you. This is just the intro for this 10-week sermon series that we're going to be going through. So as we close, some final words. Can I say this? A lot of this might have been heavy today for you. You're like, gosh, you look at the list and you're like, what? Community? Man, I'm so introverted. I don't want to hang out with anybody, you know? So community might be a stretch for you. You get what I'm saying? Casting out demons? What? I thought that was just in movies. You know what I mean? We're going to train and practice to do what Jesus did. But the first thing I want to say is that um, you are loved. You are loved. So if you've seen this list this morning and you heard this talk this morning and you felt overwhelmed, 
or you felt a bit of shame because maybe you're not doing those things, can I just tell you that you are loved? God loves you so much. And you doing something for him or not doing something for him is not going to make him love you more or love you less. So if there's any of that, gosh, feeling shame, feeling guilt, feeling not worthy, gosh, the Lord doesn't put that on you. You are loved. He, he can't love you more. He can't love you less. You love. And the second thing is, is that it's a journey. It's a journey. See, a lot of times within our culture in the West and American Christianity, everything is microwaved. Right? Ding! And then you're like, you come out fully Jesus. You get what I'm saying? And that's just not, that's just not the gospel. That's not the scripture. Can I tell you, Jesus was at the last supper with his disciples and they still really didn't know who he was. Are you really? John the Baptist saw the dove descend from heaven and rest upon Jesus and hear the words, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then John gets put in prison and he sends the word to Jesus. He says, are you really the one we're looking for? It's a journey. What we, what the kind of culture we want to create here in the Mustard Seed Church is a culture of practice and journeying together. And so for ministry time, guess what ministry time really is when we pray for one another? Let's practice. Because if you can pray for someone here, you can pray for someone at the coffee shop. It's a, it's a journey and it's practice. And the thing is, is we want to journey together. We want to practice together. And so over the next 10 weeks, for the next few months actually, we're going to be having these trainings and conferences and get plugged into a community group because some of this is going to be happening there. But it's a journey. So don't feel overwhelmed like, gosh, man, I just, I got baptized this last summer and now I need to be, you know, casting out demons. Come on, man, I'm just, man, you know. It's a journey. So because of that, take all the pressure off. Take all the pressure off. Because what we're going to do is we're going to journey together. That sound good? We're going to journey together. We're going to practice together. 